Let's pray. Father, tonight we are so grateful to you for your great mercy. I thank you that in your mercy you provided a way of escape. You provided a way to avoid a lot of those pitfalls. In your word, Lord, you said it's a light unto our path and we can see what we're supposed to do. I thank you for the mercy of your word that you speak to us and you guide us and you show us your way. Tonight I pray for revelation that it come to us, Lord, that it be individually uh, recognized by each one of us. I pray that we have ears to hear, that we might know exactly what it is you want to say to us. Father, we give you thanks tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You know, I've been uh, listening to a, a series of sermons um, by, what's his name? Uh, no, no, Robert Morris. And his, the, ser- the series I'm listening to, it's called um, More Than Words. And it's about the Bible. And if you get a chance to listen to it, it's really fantastic. He really talks about, I mean, you realize that's my favorite subject in the world, is the Bible. And he really talks about the Bible being more than just words on a page. You know, the the church as a whole is facing a crossroads. We, We unfortunately have a generation of people that are coming up who don't really believe the Bible. They've been... uh, for some reason, it hasn't been explained well to them or something. And, and they believe it's, it's, it's good and they believe it's great, but they believe it's no more inspired than the words of Shakespeare. And so they, they don't understand that the Bible is God's Word. You know, the Lord spent uh, 1,600 years through 40 different writers writing this book. It's a love letter to us. And he, he, it is his word. It's, it's the exact expression of what he wants. And, and we as believers, we need to make sure that our faith is really in what God said. And I, that's why I love to do what I'm doing tonight. I know that's why Joe loves to do what he does, is we love the word. We want, with, apart from the word, I mean, the scripture tells us that this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. The only way to have faith is from the word of God. That's the only place it comes from. You know, we can pray for more faith, but unless we're in the Word, we're not going to have more faith. You know, we need to be people of the Word. If it, if it was only, if, if it was, if, if Shakespeare was inspired as the Bible, you know, when the devil tempted Jesus, he might have said something like, Wherefore art thou, O Romeo? I mean, but instead, he quoted the Word because it was the Word that was going to bring the victory. I realize. Shakespeare hadn't written Romeo and Juliet in Jesus' day, but surely Jesus would have known about it if it would have been that powerful. Uh, and so, so we have to have we have to have the word. I met a, a preacher Sunday morning. I ministered at a church across town, and and uh, I love this guy. Number one, just because he was a lovable guy, but I mean, he loved the word, and he would answer questions with the word. I just love that about him. He was just really good. And uh, we need to have just that, that love affair with the Bible. Um, and I know you do. Here's the reality. The devil knows if our faith is real. He knows if it's real. I mean, he's been watching human behavior for centuries. And he can tell 
if we really are believing what God said or if we're just trying to convince ourselves or even trying to convince God. Because I know lots of times as Christians we try to convince God or try to convince the devil. The devil knows whether we really believe what God said. In fact, we understand that faith, true New Testament faith, comes from the heart and not the mind. We get it from the word, but we believe in our heart. The scripture says in Romans 10.10, it says, For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made to salvation. Jesus told us whatever our mouths, whatever our hearts are full of, comes out of our mouth. Whatever we fill our heart with will always come out of our mouth. He tells us we create our lives by the words that we speak. We, we, he, Jesus, he said this, he said, make the tree good and the fruit good or make it rotten and the fruit rotten. He was talking about, when he's talking about tree, he's actually talking about life. If, the way I can see from scripture, he's actually talking about the spirit life. He said, we make it good or we make it evil. Then he said, he said, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. He said, a good man out of the good treasure of the heart bringeth forth good things. An evil man out of the evil treasure bringeth forth evil things. We build our lives by what we say and we say what comes out of our heart. Because whatever our heart is full of, that's what we're going to talk about. You know, you can tell somebody's heart is full of the Dallas Cowboys because that's what they talk about. There are some days that I've talked about the Dallas Cowboys. But, but what, when, when we believe it in our heart, we'll speak it with our mouths. Our agreement with the word will manifest the salvation that Romans 10.10 is talking about. When you got saved, you believed in your heart. You spoke with your mouth because your heart got full of something. And you spoke it with your mouth. And the scripture says that's how you got saved. The word salvation there doesn't only mean born again. It means to be rescued. It means to be well, to be whole, to be healed. All of that comes because we put the Word in our heart. We make sure the Word's there. The only way to be in faith, the only way to do what I'm talking about is to meditate in the Word. Take time. You know, I, I say this every time, and you guys are mature in the Lord. We all have to have a daily habit of the Word. Always. Always having a daily habit of the Word. And then, more than just reading the Word, meditating in the Scripture. Meditate, of course, means to mutter, to utter, to speak to yourself over and over again. I mean, I know this, you can't chew on anything very long without swallowing some of it. And as you meditate in the Scripture, it does drop down into your spirit. So, we have to, we have to learn how to stand by faith in what the Word says by taking it every single day. Last time, we started talking about that we need to know where we stand. Know where we are. We must stand in faith knowing that we are over the devil and that he and his works are under our feet. We are over. He is under. As believers, we are never to be beggars. A lot of times Christians think if we can just beg God enough that he will do something for us. But we're not beggars. We're sons and daughters. We are men and women of God. We're not beggars. We, we'll never be able to manipulate God. We can't do that. I mean, he's smarter than we are. We can't manipulate him into doing something for us. You know, it's like the time when my daughter came to me when she was still in, in high school. And she came in and she came to my office. And she said, oh, Daddy, I just wanted to give you a big kiss before I go to school. And I looked at her and I said, you're too late, honey. 
Your mom's already been in here two minutes ago, and she has all my cash. (laughs) We're not going to manipulate God. We will never trick God into doing something for us. Too much of the church, too much of the time, we operate in what I call counterfeit faith. It's just not real. Here's how you know if your faith is real or not. It's just like a $20 bill. Try to spend it. Try to use it. And when you use it, you'll find out if it's counterfeit or if it's not. I found out a long time ago, faith has no shelf life. I mean, you use it or you lose it. We either believe God or we don't believe God. The Bible is either true or it's not. It's either all true or not. Because if there's a part that we can find that's not true, I heard somebody say, well, the table of Robert Morris, that somebody said, well, the Bible can't be true because science proves that no man could live three days and nights in the belly of a fish. Well, that may be true, but science also will prove that you can't part the water and people walk across on dry ground. Science also proves you can't raise anybody from the dead. Science proves proves lots of those things, but we don't believe in a God who's limited to science. We believe in a God of miracles. And for for Jonah to survive three days and three nights in the belly of a fish, I mean, that's a miracle. But it's got to be true. You know why? Because Jesus said it was. Jesus said, as Jonah spent three days and three nights in the belly of the fish. I mean, Jesus spoke it as fact. And so we've got to make sure we know the word. We choose to believe exactly what the Bible says. Faith comes from the heart as we take time in the word, meditating on it, believing, choosing to believe what it says, being totally, totally committed to what it says. We've been taught, unfortunately, in many churches that grace means that we do nothing and God does everything. I mean, but you really can't find that teaching in the Bible. Okay, truly, His power is the power that's released that does the miraculous, that produces His plan. But He uses the channel of our faith to release the grace to accomplish what He wants to do. Somebody's got to believe what He says. Listen to this passage of Scripture from Romans chapter 8. This is 8.26, and you know this verse. Likewise, the Spirit helps our infirmities. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. What I I find in the scripture, it says the Spirit helps our infirmities. The word infirmity here doesn't mean sickness. It means weakness. It means inabilities. He says the Spirit helps our weaknesses. The word help here means to take hold of, opposite together. In other words, to cooperate or to assist, to lay hold along with, to strive to obtain with others, to help in obtaining, to take hold of with another, to partner with. Here's what that verse just said. It says the Spirit will only take hold and fight something with us. It's His miracle power that's going to do the job. But our job is to get in there and the Spirit comes with us. He helps us as we do it. The, the Holy Spirit understands that we, our job is to believe God, and that faith without works is dead. And so we begin to believe God, and He comes and fights right alongside with us. Think about these verses. This is in Second Chronicles 20. And you know these verses probably. The Bible says, it's talking about Jehoshaphat and, and, and the enemy that was attacking him, and they were too big for him, and they prayed. And this was the answer they got from God. Second Chronicles 2, 20, verse 16. It says, Tomorrow go ye down against them. Behold, they come up by the cliff of Ziz, and ye shall find them at the end of the brook before the wilderness of Jeruel. 
ye shall not need to fight in this battle. That's a big promise. Now, if you don't need to fight, well, what's, well, they're here the rest of it says, Set yourselves, stand ye still, and see the salvation of the Lord, O Judah and Jerusalem. Fear not, nor be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, and the Lord will be with you. He says, you know what? I'm going to fight for you, but you still need to suit up. You still need to go down there. You still need to face the enemy. You still need to be there. I'm going to fight for you. But you need to go. See, he partners with us. The action of faith was them going down there, doing it. In fact, they got the praise team. This is what I think we need to do when we have a fight. Get the praise team. Send them out. They sent out the praise team. They began to sing worship. And the Lord, the Lord fought for Israel. The Lord smote the enemy. But they still had to get dressed. They still had to go down there. There was still something that they had to do. They couldn't just sit and watch TV and eat bonbons. They, there's this thing called the fight of faith. There's this thing called, called, called standing. Doing all that you can do to stand and then stand some more. I mean, they had to face it. I mean... As we talked about the last time, we've got to know that we are not under. The scripture says that we are over. We fight a fight of faith. We are the children of the living God. The Bible says we're more than conquerors. Listen, you can't conquer something without some kind of a conquest. The Bible says we are victors. We can't, you can't be a victor until there's a contest to fight. The scripture says that we were created to rule in life. One of my favorite passages of scripture is Romans 5.17. says, For if by one man's offense death reigned, by one, talking about Adam, much more they which receive abundance of grace, this is talking about us, which receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. The scripture here says that we reign in life. By one Jesus Christ. And the way we reign in life is when, that, when there are circumstances that, are, that, 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 that simply will not bow to, the name, to, 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 to what we know is real. We stand and we fight with the Word of God. We believe what God has said. We fight the good fight of faith along the way. I've told you before, if it's a good fight, that means we win. You know, one time I was watching a Cowboys game and they lost by one point or something. And somebody looked at me and said, well, at least it was a good game. And I said, no, it wasn't. A good game is when we beat the Redskins by 45 points. That is a good game. I mean, I'll watch the whole thing. That's a good game. Listen, the, fight of, the good fight of faith, it's good because we win if we stay with it. So last time we talked about being created overall. We saw in Genesis... And we saw in Psalms that God created man to be over all of creation. Created him to be over. We saw that in order to do this, we're going to have to walk and live by faith. We're going to have to believe that what God said is true. We saw, and this is where, this is where a lot of people miss out on the subject of faith. We saw that the purpose of faith is not getting God to do what I want him to do. The purpose of faith is to get God's plan to operate and move in me to accomplish His will and His plan in the earth. It's not for me to name it and claim it except I name and claim what He said is His. It is His plan, His purpose. We saw from Hebrews 11.3 last week that the purpose of faith is to alter, to change, 
to, to rearrange the generation in which we live. It's, we, we're, called, we're called to change it with the Word of God. That's what faith is. It's believing God, staying with God, letting, letting His purpose be, be made manifest in the earth. The purpose of faith is to gain the victory over the world and anything in its system that contradicts the Word of God. That's what the purpose of faith is. Now, his, he, he, does, he does want you healed. He does want you delivered. He does want you prospered. He wants you protected. But the purpose of faith is to accomplish His will and His plan. Okay? I mean, it's His will for you to make it to work. It may not be His will for you to make it to work in, in, in a new Ferrari. But we, we have a right to everything the Word promises us. And we can't be foolish about it. It's God's plan that we're after. The people in Hebrews 11 changed their world by getting the Word of God, believing it, operating in it. It changed everything. That's what faith is all about. So, when I taught on healing, that ties to it. I mean, healing is about believing God for what He said. What He said. Not, not, not being silly. Not being foolish. You know, like we did in the 70s. I didn't because I didn't wear glasses in the 70s. But, you know, they would say, I, I believe that I'm healed. They'd take their glasses off and have a wreck on the way home because they couldn't see. I'm not, I'm not talking about foolish things like that. I'm talking about standing on his word. You know, you can get healed, but you may not get healed all at once. You know, you may see men as trees walking one time. And then you might see things clearly. Right? People are afraid of, of the subject of healing, oftentimes because they're afraid of the subject of faith. Faith has been so mistaught and misunderstood. I mean, the word faith simply means to give absolute credence to a thing. I mean, the word Greek word is pistis, and it means to give credence to it, absolutely giving credence to it. Faith is simply giving absolute credence to the Word of God, accepting the Word as the final authority, no matter what the circumstances may say. No matter what they say. Because the circumstances will change. I mean, they'll come and they'll go. The facts change. They come and they go. The Word is true forever. There are only two things on this planet that will last forever, and that is the Word and people. His Word will last forever. No matter how I feel, I have to decide that the Word is true. I mean, circumstances, they, they, they'll, they'll mess with you. But we have to decide the Word is true. We have to, see, that's what people have to figure out. It's the Word that's true. It's the Word that's true. When we understand that we are above and not beneath, we'll never be under the circumstances another day in our lives. We'll still fight the fight of faith. We'll still have to do the right things that the fight of faith demands. But we will not have to be under Man, we read, when we talked about healing, we read that he heals all and he forgives all. Was it a mistake? Well, we saw when I taught that, that it's several places in the scripture. We saw that Jesus said, healing and forgiveness are the same. In fact, he said, which is easier? So what is true? The word is true. We've got to come to the place that we boldly consider only what he said in spite of what we see or feel. So tonight, let's talk, I'm going to talk a little bit about our position here. Last week we looked at Ephesians chapter 1. If you have a, a Bible or a phone or you want to look at this, this is, we're going to read several verses from Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 17. I mean, this, this, Ephesians is a great book. And this first chapter is just full of great stuff. 
It says, this is a prayer that the Apostle Paul is writing for the Holy Spirit. You realize the Holy Spirit's the author. Paul is just the writer. He's writing it. The Holy Spirit is, is telling what to say. Here's what the Holy Spirit says. That the God of that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. Now, if that was the whole prayer, that would be a good one for the Holy Spirit to pray. That we would have a spirit of wisdom. A spirit of wisdom. Not just have some wisdom, but a spirit of wisdom. A spirit of revelation. And that can only come in the knowledge of Him. That the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of His calling and what the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints. He's saying, man, that your eyes would be flooded with light. You would understand all that God has for you because you're born again. You have this inheritance in the saints. And what is the exceeding greatness of His power to usward who believe according to the working of His mighty power which He wrought in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and set Him at His own right hand in the heavenly places far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named not only in this world but in that which is to come and hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church which is his body the fullness of him that filleth all in all I mean that is a powerful prayer we talked about last time that Jesus is far above all far above all some think that there's this, this battle between Jesus and the demons is a tough one I mean, there's this battle between good and evil is so tough. This battle between light and dark is so tough. Have you ever walked into a dark room and turned on a light? Doesn't seem like much of a battle to me. As soon as that light comes on, the, the darkness gets out. It's, it, it, it's not like the devil is this great, big, tough dude that, 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 is, that is tougher than Jesus, more, than, more powerful than what he did. I mean, the devil is darkness... Jesus is light. And, and darkness has no choice but to flee from light. Uh, I say it this way. The only thing faster than the speed of light is the speed of darkness fleeing from the speed of light. Because it has to go. When the light comes on, the darkness goes. Every time. It, 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 uh, there's no fight between them. I've never turned on a light in my room. And, and, and the darkness is battling against the light. I mean, they're not pressing against one another. No, no the darkness goes. It has to go. It can't stay in the light. All right? we, we saw that, that we think this battle is so tough. I, in Luke 11.20, Jesus said that he cast out demons with the finger of God. That doesn't sound like a very tough fight to me. The finger of God can cast out a demon. You know, one time I told you this. I had an encounter with the Holy Spirit, and I remember he touched me on the cheek. It was, it was the most awesome thing I'd ever felt in my life. But at the same moment, I thought, I feel sorry for his enemies. Because with that same finger, he can wipe out an army. He cast out demons with the finger of God. That's a powerful finger. Either that or demons are not very tough. I think there's a lot of both of those involved here. The scripture talks about the hand of God. Listen, when the hand of God is extended towards you and, and, and you're on his side, that's a good thing. But the scripture talks about his hand against his enemies. It's bad for the enemies. Just the hand of God. 
Then the Bible talks about the arm of God. I love that. His arm is revealed. I mean, man, we see in this verse we just read that there's this working of his mighty power was released when he raised Jesus from the dead. And I thought about that one day. I thought, well, why did it take mighty power to raise Jesus from the dead? Then I realized when God raised Jesus from the dead, he didn't just raise Jesus from the dead. He raised all men from the dead who will believe in the power of Jesus of Nazareth. All that will receive salvation through him, he received them all. All that believed the punishment of sin that was placed upon Jesus was was their punishment, and he took it for them, and it took the mighty arm of God, the the power of God, to raise Jesus because he raised all of us at the same time. Man, that's good news to me. And the Bible says he is far above all things and all things are under his feet and we talked about this last time and we are his body even if you're the smallest toe on the foot of the body you're still above everything else it's under you we are far above all now let me continue here all scripture is inspired it's breathed by God I mean it is the very essence of God all of it But the the chapter and verse designations aren't necessarily inspired by God. When when Paul wrote this letter to the Ephesians, he didn't stop at the end of verse verse 20, whatever it is. He didn't stop at the end of verse 23 and then say, you know, then put chapter 2 after that. (laughs) He's writing a letter, and there's this thought. And, and so, so the King James writers and other writers have decided that was the way to, and it's a good way. I'm glad they do it that way because we can refer to different passages. But, 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 but those, those chapter and verse separations are not always inspired. And italicized words in the King James are not always inspired. Okay, they were just the translators trying to get us something clear. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to read a portion of the passage that we just read. I'm going to leave out some of the, leave out some of the parenthetical descriptive, descriptive phrases, which are very inspired and very important by the Holy Spirit. But I'm going to leave these out, and I'm going to leave out some italicized words, and I'm going to continue. I'm going to go from chapter 1 to chapter 2, because it's a continual thought. Listen to what it says. This is, this is Ephesians 1, 19 and 20. Then I'm going to leave out some of this, this part of this parenthetical about Jesus and his name above every name, because here's, here's, the, here's the thought that Paul is saying. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe according to the working of his mighty power which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and you who were dead. What the apostle is saying is this mighty power was wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and it was wrought in you when you were dead. I think this is powerful stuff. It was, and I like what this says. It was wrought. This is past tense. In Christ, this was wrought. He was dead, and you, when you were dead. The purpose of this passage is way important. Figure out where we are. Let me read it in the King James, all of chapter, part of most of chapter two. Verse 1, And you hath he quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sins, where in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom we also all had our conversation in times past, in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. The next two words are two very important words. But God. 
but God, who is rich in mercy. I'm so grateful that he didn't have just a little bit. He's rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, by grace are you saved, and hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Now I'm going to tell you why it takes faith, because listen to what this says. It says we were dead. That's past tense. He hath raised us. Hath is past tense. Has quickened us together with Christ. Here's what he's saying. We were dead just like Jesus was dead. And when God raised Jesus, quickened him, he quickened us at the same time. We were raised when Jesus was raised. It takes faith to believe that one, doesn't it? We were raised with him. He's already raised us up together with him and already made, it's past tense word, made us to sit together with him in heavenly places. And that's talking about that that is far above all. It already has taken place. It, we were already raised. We already have, have been raised and are already seated at the Father's right hand in Christ Jesus. If I understand that I'm in Him now, now, I'm not talking about future tense, I'm talking about right now tense. If I'm in Him now, He's above all, I'm in Him now, I'm above all, and that means that I can't be under, I have to be over. Amen. I mean, I like that, that's pretty cool. That means that sickness is under me. It means, it, it, it means that sin... Is under me. That's why Paul said in Romans chapter 6 that sin shall not have dominion over us. It's under me. That's what the scripture says. The circumstances are under me. In Christ I am far above all. That is great news because it's already, it is a spiritual reality and it exists right now. We are in Him above all. I love this next verse. It says that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness through us, through Jesus Christ. That just said forever, ever and ever, he is going to demonstrate his grace, his favor, and his kindness to us in Jesus Christ. Tomorrow night I'm teaching about the blessing of the Lord in our group but I'm, I'm going to make this point tomorrow night. The scripture says that God is love. It doesn't say that, that, that he does acts of love. It says he is love. God is love. God, he's absolute love. Absolute love. In other words, there is, no, there, there is nothing not love in God. He is love. He is absolutely love. It's kind of like, there, there, uh, scientifically, there's a phrase called absolute cold. Absolute cold is so cold, there is no presence of heat in any way, shape, form, or fashion in it. I think it's 467 degrees Fahrenheit. Minus 467 degrees Fahrenheit. There is no heat in absolute cold. God is absolute love. Now, you can't be absolute love and not have some place to demonstrate the love. That's why we're here. 
God had to do something. He had to have somebody to love. He had to have something to love, something to have a relationship with. That's why we're here, because God is going to spend eternity with us, loving on us and showing us all these good things and all these kind things. I am so excited. I'm not ready to go today, but God is going to share all those things with us forever in heaven because he just has to love us because that's what he does. He is absolutely love. Let me read on. It says, For by grace are you saved through faith, that not, that not of yourselves is the gift of God, not by works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk with them. With, in them. I mean, this saving, this, this, this saving grace is ours by faith so we can do these mighty exploits for the kingdom of God. God wants that to be our life because he is so good. He, he, I mean, we are above all, and if we'll know who we are, we can do what he's called us to do. I mean, if, if, you're, if, you're, the, uh, uh, if you're the boss of the project, you know you can walk in and you can tell them to do stuff they're supposed to do. If you don't know who you are, you can't do that. But if you know that's who you are, you do it. If we understand who we are in Christ, that we are above and we're not beneath, then we can do exploits for the kingdom and we can tell the devil where he's supposed to be and we can tell the circumstances to line up with the word of God and we can do what we're supposed to do. We can't, we can't be afraid of the devil. We need to do what he told us to do. The Bible says in the Amplified verse 10, For we are God's own handiwork. His workmanship, recreated in Christ Jesus, born anew, that we may do those good works which God predestined, planned beforehand for us, taking paths which he prepared ahead of time, that we should walk in them, living the good life which he prearranged and made ready for us to live. I mean, it's talking about a life of grace that is appropriated by faith because of what God has done and because of who we are and because of where we stand. Man, I'm telling you, that is way good news. Right now, tonight, we are far above all. Far above all is a position of faith. The position is not a matter of what will come someday, but the reality of what has already been done. We've already been raised. God has already raised us, already seated us in Christ at his right hand. I mean, we're seated in this room tonight, but at the same moment, we are seated at the right hand of the Father. It seems like the roof is over us, but it's not. Our position in Christ is we're over everything because of what Jesus has done for us. We mustn't allow our hearts to be troubled by the circumstances, but be people of courage and faith. The scripture says this, says that Jesus is the captain and perfection of faith. And we're supposed to look at him. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. He's the captain and perfecter of faith. We know that the Apostle Paul is called the Apostle of Faith. See, if we're going to stand, if we're going to take our position, we've got to believe some things. We've got to be people of faith. So the, Paul was the Apostle of Faith. He's been called that. His instruction in the walk of faith is beyond anybody else that the Holy Spirit has ever spoken through. But let me read you a few passages here, and I'm going to get to something fun before we close tonight. Romans 4, verse 16 says this, Therefore it is of faith that it might be by grace to the end that the promise might be sure <clears throat> to all the seed, not only to that which is of the law, but to that which is also of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. Then Galatians 3.9 says, So then they which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. Galatians 3.29 And if ye be Christ's, then ye are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. 
Romans 4, verse 12. And the father of circumcision to them that are not of the circumcision only, but to but who also walk in the steps of faith of our father Abraham, which he had yet being uncircumcised. Jesus is an example of faith. In fact, all of Rome, all of Hebrews 11 points to Hebrews 12 to Jesus. Paul is an apostle of faith, but Abraham, the scripture calls him the father of faith. Abraham is the father of faith. He is the example of how to live and walk by faith. Here's the problem with the teachings on faith. They make it too complicated. It's not that complicated. So I'm going to take a few minutes and let's look at how Abraham walked by faith and that kind of faith that allows us to be far above all. Very simple, not complicated at all. All right, the Bible tells us four times that we are to live by faith. It tells us we're to walk by faith. We're to fight the good fight of faith. It tells us that faith is the thing that pleases God. It tells us that faith is the victory that overcomes the world. So faith is not a side subject in the Bible. I mean, there is no birth, no new birth apart from faith. There's no authority over the devil apart from faith. It's not a scary subject. It's not a thing that demands God give me what I want because we already talked about that. It's an important thing. Abraham did basically two things. Two things. His example of faith, he did two basic things. And let's just look at those. Number one, Romans 4 verse 17. This verse, right here, calls Abraham our father. It says, as it is written, I've made thee a father of many nations. Before him whom he believed, even God, who quickeneth the dead, and calleth those things that be not as though they were. I've been around Christians for a long time, and I found out that Christians mostly call things as they are. Most of the time, Christians call it, well, I just call it like I see it. That's, I'm, just, I'm just real. I call it like I see it. If I'm sick, I'm sick. If I'm poor, I'm poor. I'm thinking if you're stupid, you're stupid too. But that, you, don't, you don't have to say that. Most Christians call it the way they see it. They call it the way it is. God calls things that are not as though they are. Abraham did the same thing. We'll look at this in just a minute. They call what God calls for, what Abraham called for. He called not for what he had. He called for what he wanted. God, there's, there, everything is without form and void. He creates the earth. And then he says, light be. Aren't you glad he didn't call what he saw? What would have happened if he just said what he saw? It's dark it'd still be dark. I mean, when God spoke it, it'd still be dark. And there on the first day of creation, God announced light. Light be. Light became. There was no sun. There were no stars. None of those things existed. But at the word of God, the confession of God, he called what was not as though it was. And he said, light be. And light was. That's how God operates. That's the way he's always operated. And yet most Christians are like a guy getting on the elevator wanting to go to the fifth floor. And he pushes one. He pushes one. And he says, nothing's happening. They said to push the button and nothing's happening. If you want to go somewhere, you better push a different button. Instead of calling for where you are, we need to call for where we want to be. Instead of calling for what we have, 
We've got this Abraham called for something that he didn't have. He called for something that was impossible. We can either be like a thermometer or a thermostat. You walk up to the thermometer and it tells you what it is. And it will never do anything but say what it is. But you walk up to a thermostat. And if it says 74, and you can prophesy and say 68. I mean the whole house goes to work to make it 68. Because you just prophesied. We can be a thermometer and call it the way it is. I just call it the way it is. Or you can be a thermostat and call for what you want. Abraham called for what he wanted. That same guy says, I just call it the way it is. He steps out on the back porch and he says, Here, kitty. Here, kitty. Well, kitty ain't here. He's calling for what he wants. He wants kitty to come there. We need to be people who call for what we want. If we are, and we are, if we reign in life by one Jesus Christ, if we are kings unto our king, how does a king reign? Calls for what he wants. Makes a decree. And when he makes the decree, everything responds to the decree. I mean, we need to be. The first thing Abraham did was he began to talk right. Genesis 17, verse 1. And when Abram was 90 years old and nine, the Lord appeared to Abram and said unto him, I am almighty, the Almighty God. Walk before me and be thou perfect. I will make my covenant between me and thee and will multiply thee exceedingly. And Abram fell on his face and God talked with him saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with thee and thou shalt be a father of many nations. Neither shall thy name be called Abram, but thy, thy name shall be called Abraham. For a father of many nations have I made thee. He never called himself Abram again in his life. God said, you are now Abraham. Abram means exalted father. Abraham means father of a multitude. From that moment forward, Abraham only said father of a multitude. He would meet people. I'm father of multitude. They were looking around. It didn't matter to Abraham what they saw. It mattered to him what he knew and what he said. He called for what he wanted. It says in God, in verse 15, it says, And God said to Abraham, As for Sarai thy wife, thou shalt not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. Sarah means princess. Sarah means queen mother. They never, can you just imagine them sitting around the table? Hey, queen mother, pass me some coffee. Yes, father of a multitude, here you go. They spoke to one another. They called one another what God called them. They only said what God said. Listen, if we're going to take our position far above all, we're going to have to learn how to talk the way God talks. What did he say? Did he say, oh, you're just sick and tired? Because that's what Christians say. I'm just sick and tired. I'm so sick and tired of this. I'm sick and tired of that. If I ever say that to Tammy, she says, well, if you say so. We, we need to understand. I mean, this, this is all through the Bible. What I, what I just said, we could, go, we could talk a lot, lots of passages. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, according to Proverbs 18.21. What we say, we need to be calling for what God said. Calling for it. Man, if we're going to be far above all, we've got to say what God says about our lives, our health, our circumstances, our money, all of those things, we've got to say what God said. So Abraham, number one, 
he, he had to say some things. Secondly, Abraham had to set his focus, set his heart on the promise and not the circumstances. He had to set his heart on the things of the Spirit, not the symptoms. Listen to this. When you talk about Abraham and Sarah, I mean, these people are 99 and 90 years old. And they're getting ready to have a baby. They're calling for healing in their bodies. They're calling for a miracle. They're calling for a restoration of their youth. They're calling for something that no one has ever had before. I mean, they weren't looking at their symptoms. They weren't looking at the way things are. They began to speak and look a different way. Romans, 8, Romans 4, verse 18, talking about Abraham, who against hope believed in hope that he might become the father of many nations. It says there was no hope. There was no hope. Against hope. I mean, everything was against that. It says, according to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead when he was about a hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God, being fully persuaded that what he had promised he was able to perform. Abraham had to totally ignore his body. He had to totally ignore the circumstances and focus only on what God says. He considered not his own body. He didn't talk about it. He didn't talk about how hard it was. I mean, he didn't talk. In fact, God gave him the instruction about circumcision after this. I mean, it's like, that's the opposite thing to do, God. But he followed God by faith. Listen, when you talk about Abraham, he was long before the law. Long before the law. He tithed before the law. He did what God told him to by faith. It was all about faith with him. He didn't consider the deadness of Sarah's womb. They just call, kept talking about what God said they were going to be. He didn't stagger. The word stagger means to hesitate. I mean, he continued to walk straight to the promise. I mean, when you start hesitating, you're going to begin to be in unbelief. He was strong in faith. He focused on what God said. He was fully persuaded, absolutely certain, completely convinced. And that's where the fight is. Because Abraham had to ignore what his body said. He had to ignore what the circumstance said. He had to totally ignore anything that, that, that contradicted what God said. God said, you're the father of many nations. You're the father of a multitude. He had to consider not anything but God's word. He was so convinced, man. He was so... Listen, I know this. You can't be looking at God and looking at your circumstances at the same time. Peter found out you can't be looking at the waves and look at Jesus at the same time. we got to look. He was totally convinced. Totally convinced. was focused on Him. He was so convinced of God's promise that later when God said, offer Isaac, he was like, not a problem. Come on, boy. Let's go. Because he knew, he knew that God's promise was in that in that boy, and he just did it. There was no, there's no, there's nothing in the Bible that says it was difficult for him or Sarah. He offered him because he knew what the promise was. Now let me let me bring it to to, to us right now, Revelation twelve eleven. And they overcame him, talking about Satan, by the blood of the Lamb, and by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto the death. Overcame. That means over. They were over. They were far above. 
They got above by the blood. All right, now here's the reality tonight. The blood has already been shed. It already has accomplished its work. It's already speaking of better things than the blood of Abel's. It's already done. Our job is to apply the blood. I mean, and we do that with the hyssop of our tongue. All right, it's, it's there. It, it, it's all the blood will never lose its power, and we need to make sure we understand it. But then there comes the word of their testimony. Now, this is a legal term. The verse before that talks about that the devil was the accuser. All right. This is talking about testifying about the power of the blood. This is talking about that we need to say only what the blood says. It's a picture of a courtroom. I mean, they're in this courtroom, and the devil, Satan, I mean, he is the prosecuting attorney. The scripture says in 1 John 2, 1, that Jesus is our advocate. God, of course, is the judge. So I can, you can just see this picture painted. Satan is pointing out to the judge. Oh, he's our father. The judge is our father. He's pointing out to our father all of our faults and all of our sins. But we've been prepped by our attorney, our advocate. We've been prepped by him to only say what he tells us to say. We only say, because that's what your attorney tells you. He says, you only say what I tell you to say. And so the devil accuses and he accuses and he accuses. And we simply say, I am righteous because of the blood. See, because that's where our righteousness is. To agree with the devil means he'll rest his case. But we don't want to agree with him. We agree with what the blood says. We have been made righteous by the blood. And then our advocate cross-examines us and winds up saying, Your Honor, Father, because it's his Father too, based on their testimony, they've received the work of the precious blood and they are thus declared righteous and the father says not guilty but we have to say what he says and then it says they love not their lives unto the death this is the focus part no matter what the circumstances say we love what the word says and we will not give up we will not back down. No matter what happens, we stay with him. See, I love what, what um, we shared in here last time, uh, that death is the last enemy. Death is, and Jesus conquered it. Death does not frighten us. Death has no hold on us because it's an enemy. And the scripture says that in Christ, we are far above all. I'm telling you, this is a spiritual reality. And the walk by faith is simply, is simply, say what he says. Focus on the promise. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, tonight we thank you for the blood. We thank you for your word. We thank you, God, that you have made a way where there really is no way. But Lord, you know what to do. I love it when the psalmist said that the road led through the sea. There was no way out. But you knew the way. And all they had to do was follow you. God, we thank you tonight for your word. We thank you tonight that we truly are far above all in Christ. And we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen.